Hello friends, this is Pastor Creighton. Thank you for listening to New Song Church's sermon podcast. New Song Church exists to lift high Jesus Christ in Port Perry as we worship, grow, and serve. We'd love to connect with you. You can find our contact information at newsongportperry.ca. Today we continue our sermon series, The Gospel According to Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. I have provided for myself a king. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be renewed and our lives shaped evermore into the glory and glorious image of our Lord Jesus. So, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So we all love an underdog story, don't we? Whether it's Leicester City winning the cup or Rocky Balboa going the distance, we love an underdog story. We love it when a hero overcomes outrageous odds against them. It's tempting to read 1 Samuel chapter 16 like an underdog story. Israel is down and out. Jesse's youngest son is, well, overlooked is a word for it. But if we read this just like an underdog story, I suspect we miss the heart of what's really going on here, the good news that God has for us. What 1 Samuel chapter 16 wants to put on display is the fact when we are helpless and powerless on our own, we need someone to save us from without. We need God to make a sovereign saving choice on our behalf. See, Israel is helpless. At this moment, they have a bleak outlook on the future. And what they need is the saving help of the Lord. And what 1 Samuel chapter 16 wants to tell us is that God works his salvation through his sovereign choice. God works his salvation through his sovereign choice. So the hero of this story is not Jesse's youngest son. It's not even Samuel. The hero of the story is the Savior, and that's the Lord. God works his salvation. He gives his deliverance and saving help when no one else can by his sovereign choice, which is to say God's self-determined actions, which are free and unconditioned which is something we can really only rightly say of God. We could use terms like free will to describe our actions, but even what we choose is conditioned, isn't it? We only have a limited number of possibilities in front of us. We're located in a particular time and in a particular place, and human finitude necessarily puts a limit on what our options can be and what our choices are. Not so with God. God works his salvation, his deliverance, through his sovereign saving choice in a way that only he can. So perhaps we can hear echoes in this chapter of Hannah's song, which we looked at all the way back in chapter 2 as we opened up and opened up this journey through First and Second Samuel together. Maybe we hear echoing through this passage that there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. God is completely holy. He is utterly unique. He is supremely strong. 
and mighty to save. When all else fails, and all else will, he alone intervenes to save his people by his unconditioned and sovereign choice. So in this particularly helpless moment in the story of God's people, we see God working his salvation through his sovereign choice. And there are three things I think we see in 1 Samuel chapter 16 about the sovereign choices that God makes for us and for our salvation. One, God's sovereign choice gives us hope. Two, God's sovereign choice is uniquely wise. And three, God's sovereign choice can surprise us. It gives us hope, it's uniquely wise, and it can surprise us. And friends, this is good news for us today at New Song. It's good news because God still works His salvation in our lives and in our parish through His sovereign choice. 1 Samuel 16 reminds us that God is infinitely capable when we are powerless to help ourselves, and He is infinitely faithful to His people and will neither leave us nor forsake us. God works His salvation through His sovereign choice. His sovereign choice gives us hope. So our passage this morning begins with a question. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Do you see that in verse 1? If you've got your order of service or your Bible, I welcome you to, to open that up with me. When we meet Samuel here in chapter 16, he's grieving over the rejected king Saul. Because in chapter 15, which we opened together last week, Saul's partial obedience was, re was revealed for the disobedience that it really was. And it was rightly rejected by the Lord. And this disqualified Saul from ruling over God's people. Saul continues to reign, but his kingship is on the decline. And his character is only going to go from bad to worse. So perhaps in this moment of grief, Samuel might be thinking back to years earlier. When Israel first demanded a king like all the nations in chapter 8. It was Saul that Samuel was directed to anoint to lead Israel. Samuel was personally invested in Saul's kingship. Saul showed so much promise at the start, but eventually his character was found out for what it was, and it made for his downfall. Saul is arrogant, self-centered, and prideful. Perhaps in this moment too, this moment of grief for Samuel, he remembers this song that his mother, Hannah, might have sung to him as a young child. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. So certainly Samuel grieves in this moment. He grieves over Saul's failure. We know that Samuel cared a great deal for Saul. But no doubt his grief is amplified by Israel's present predicament. The king is meant to lead the nation in covenant faithfulness to the Lord's. The people chose the king, but he's proven unfaithful and broken God's covenant. So now Israel's future seems so uncertain. Without a king acceptable to the Lord, the question is, will Israel be conclusively rejected as God's people as well? Israel, it seems, is beyond human help at this moment. And here's where God's sovereign choice brings hope 
that Israel wouldn't otherwise have. God says to Samuel, verse 1, Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And then picking it up in verse 3, You shall anoint for me him who I declare to you, the one who I will instruct you to anoint. This word provided here is so important. In other translations, you might see, I see a king among Jesse's sons. But this uh, word that can be translated determined or see, it's not see in a sense of, well, let's give this a try and see if it works. No, this is more of a, Samuel, I see the next right step that I have determined to take. I see my plan working out step by step, even if you can't right now in the midst of your grief. So trust me and obey. Where Samuel grieves Saul's failure and Israel is hopelessly lost on its own, God has made the sovereign choice of a new king who will bring hope for God's people. Perhaps God's sovereign choice can be an antidote for our despair. In moments of seeming hopelessness, is that a word? You know what I mean. That's a lot of listlessnesses. In moments of grief where we feel overcome and overwhelmed, where the bottom has fallen out, we are not left without hope. God's sovereignty means he is still working out his saving plan. We can acknowledge that God's sovereign choice doesn't spare us from grief like Samuel. Grief is not a measure of our disobedience nor our unfaithfulness necessarily. But for God's people, grief does not equal game over. God is still working salvation and hope, which means for a Christian, there is no such thing as true hopelessness. So in a few generations' time, there would come even bleaker times for God's people, Israel. This is an iffy moment, but it's going to get worse still. Their increasing unfaithfulness to the Lord would result in exile in hostile and foreign lands. But in the midst of bleakness, defeat, and the grief of exile, God's sovereign choice still offers hope for his people, who speaks a word of hope to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. Here are the famous words. I know the plans I have for you, my people, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. What an assurance it is to know that God is always making sovereign choices to give us hope in a future when we otherwise wouldn't have one, even in the midst of our grief. God works salvation through his sovereign choice. He's purposed to bring about a new king, and he is purposed to bring about hope where we're in despair. This gives us hope even in the most grievous of circumstances. So Samuel recognizes that there's still a threat from Saul. Saul is probably intensely jealous and intensely defensive. Samuel understands that his life, well, he's taken his life in his hands to go to Bethlehem. Nevertheless, God directs him there and he's willing to obey. So he goes to Bethlehem, he meets the elders, and most importantly, he meets Jesse. And it's in his meeting with Jesse and Jesse's sons that we see the second important thing to, to note about God's sovereign choice, and that is this. God's sovereign choice is uniquely wise. Wisdom, it could be said, 
and I say it could be said because I googled it, wisdom is a quality of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. It's knowing what we're talking about and acting accordingly. Isn't that a joyful noise? So if that's the case, if wisdom is experience, knowledge, and good judgment, it seems that uh, I've received, maybe you have too, conflicting uh, um, advice on whether or not it's a wise thing to judge a book by its cover. Have you heard that expression before? Judge a book, don't judge a book by its cover. On the one hand, there's truth to the principle that there are great treasures hidden beneath humble trappings. But on the other hand, if you don't exercise good judgment based on the information made available on the cover of the book, you could go looking for the answer to the meaning of life in a cookbook. So whether conscious or not, the truth is we unavoidably judge by appearances, don't we? We train ourselves to because we're finite creatures with limited vision and our best judgment and wisdom must go by what we perceive to one degree or another. But it opens up the question, what if there's a greater wisdom still and we miss it completely when we're fixated on the appearances of things? This is the wisdom that Samuel displays in a very human moment. Verse 6, when they came, that is Jesse's sons come before Samuel, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I suspect that none of us would have thought differently than Samuel. Here's Eliab, a as fine a specimen of manhood and leadership as you could hope to come across, surely this must be Israel's new king. And what a king he'll be. Samuel is not stupid. He's a wise fella. His many years of being Israel's judge and prophet have shown him what godly character and effective leadership requires. So in this moment, Samuel's best human wisdom says, yes, Eliab is the man. Go for it. Perhaps Eliab would be Samuel's chosen king, but he is not the Lord's chosen king. As the Lord instructs Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So the Lord's rejection of Eliab is not equivalent to the Lord's rejection of Saul. Rather, this no to Eliab simply means that the Lord has not called Eliab to serve in this way or in this office of, of the king. He's got something else in mind for Eliab and something else in mind for his people Israel. But if Samuel wasn't careful to listen or discern the Lord's unique wisdom in this moment, we might go on to read about the tragedy of King Eliab who may have ended up being Saul 2.0. So the Lord says to Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart, which is to say that the best of human wisdom unavoidably judges the book by the cover, the person or the situation, by what appears to our limited perception. The Lord, however, sees people in situations not just in terms of appearance, but for the way they really are. The Lord uniquely sees through to the very center of things, the very core of human persons and attitudes and motivations, which not even the wisest among us can claim to do. So while Eliab is standing in front of Samuel, Samuel has a choice. Either he trusts his own best human wisdom, and he judges this particular book by its cover, or, with humility, 
He trusts in what the author himself is saying at this moment. It's this unique understanding of wisdom that we get from God's word. The unique understanding of wisdom is that as wise as we may be or count ourselves to be, true wisdom, the Christian understands, is always something that belongs to the Lord. True wisdom always belongs to the Lord. Proverbs chapter 2 says, The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. No matter how right a choice may seem to us, unless we're willing to listen to the Lord and submit to his word, we can make the decision that seems wise, yet in fact is found out to be the foolish one. This requires humility on our part, doesn't it? Recognizing that God's ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts than our thoughts. And humility doesn't come easy to me. Because I'm more or less convinced I'm always right. (laughs) That my wisdom is the best wisdom and I make the decision accordingly. So how do we do the hard work of discerning God's unique wisdom? Well, I think Samuel gives us a couple of thoughts to consider. Samuel is willing to listen. And that's hard work. He's done the hard work of knowing God's character as God has revealed himself to Samuel. And he's willing to humble himself and go not by his best wisdom, but by the call of the Lord. Friends, for us, as we're discerning God's wisdom for a particular choice or particular situation in front of us, we can follow Samuel's example by listening for what it is that the Lord is speaking. Knowing God's character in his word and acting accordingly and humbling ourselves, even if that means going and seeking out godly counsel. Can I run something by you? Can you pray for me? James the Apostle tells us that if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God's rejection of Eliab as king, and his word to Samuel that he looks upon the heart, tells us that God works his salvation in a way that only he can through his uniquely wise, sovereign choice. See, God's sovereign choice gives us hope when we're otherwise left with no hope. And his sovereign choice is uniquely wise. Here's the third thing that 1 Samuel 16 tells us. God's sovereign choice can be surprising. Let's look at verses 11 to 13. Here's what Samuel knows from verses 1 to 3, that God's sovereign choice for a king is among Jesse's sons in Bethlehem. So Jesse parades seven of his boys before Samuel, and yet Samuel, as he listens to the Lord's direction, knows that none of these sons is the appointed king. So Samuel asks the logical question, verse 11, Are all your sons here? Jesse says, There yet remains the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And so Jesse sent and brought him in. So at this point, maybe I can ask if there's any younger children who could maybe identify with this moment. There's no reason to think Jesse doesn't love his youngest boy. In fact, Jesse is following well-established ancient Near Eastern practice to give priority to the oldest child, Although, again, perhaps there are some youngests here who are thinking that's not so ancient a practice. But in this context, the oldest son priority gave an ancient Near Eastern family stability and security from one generation to the next to give the youngest priority 
risks disorder and confusion. But as a disciple of God's word knows, God's sovereign choice doesn't always follow our established practices or expectations. See, the line of God's covenant promises bears witness to this. God chooses to continue his promised line with the younger son, Isaac, rather than his older brother, Ishmael. And he chooses Jacob over his older brother, Esau. What we easily miss in our day would not have been lost in the ancient Near East. God's sovereign choices can surprise us. So Jesse runs and fetches his youngest from shepherding the family flock. And verse 12, we pick it up. Now this young boy was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. David is named for the first time in Scripture here in verse 13. His appearance is given in verse 12, but we can infer from verse 7 that it is not based upon his appearance that the Lord has chosen David, rather with reference to his heart. And David is famously remembered as a man after God's own heart. David didn't earn the office of king. He certainly wasn't entitled to it. That David of all people in Israel is anointed king and in fact is remembered as Israel's ideal king in a time of failure and rejection says to God's people that the Lord works his salvation through his hope-giving, uniquely wise, surprising choice. God's choice may surprise us. We would have not thought that deliverance or help or salvation would come about this way, just as we would not have expected God's sovereign choice to give us hope in an otherwise hopeless situation or display his unique wisdom, which humbles our best understanding. God works salvation through his sovereign choice. And for us friends here at New Song, we know this to be supremely true in our Savior, Jesus the heir to David's everlasting throne. See, Scripture bears witness that apart from God's working salvation through His sovereign choice, we are helpless, even dead in our sins and trespasses. But long before we ever made our decision for Christ, God in Christ made a decision for us, for us sinners. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 1 that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What a remarkable thing to think since before what we understand as time began, God has made a choice for you. And he has made a choice for me. And he has brought us to know him in Christ. That's God's sovereign saving choice. Just like the nation of Israel knows in 1 Samuel 16 that God works his salvation through his sovereign choice, so too do we see this come to its fullest bloom in Jesus. See, it's in Christ that God's sovereign choice gives us the greatest hope. 1 Peter 1, according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God does the calling. He does the choosing. He does the gathering. We get a living hope in Christ, a hope that takes us beyond death. 
Even in times of grief, for those in Christ, we do not grieve as those without hope. In Christ, God's sovereign choice supremely displays his unique and unfathomable wisdom. Paul again writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God, so let no one boast in men. And why is that, Paul? Because we could say that through God's sovereign choice, all things are yours. And Paul says, you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Even our best wisdom could not anticipate what God would do for us in Christ through the cross. And in Christ, God's sovereign choice is supremely surprising. When the Apostle Paul considers the biblical doctrine of election, which is to say God's sovereign saving choice in Romans chapter 11, he erupts into spontaneous praise. Oh, the depth and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Who could have thought that God would love us enough to choose the cross for our sake? to restore us to the Father and give us eternal hope and a future. This is our sovereign, saving God who says yes to us, who chooses us in Christ. We have only received him by trust and by faith. So friends, we have a blessed insurance in Christ. God has sovereign, savingly chosen us. What can we do but worship the rescue of sinners and the ransom from heaven? Amen. Thank you for listening today. We worship a generous God who calls us to follow him in giving willfully, cheerfully, and sacrificially. New Song Church's mission and ministry is 100% funded by the generous gifts of those worshiping and journeying with us. If you'd like to offer a gift towards New Song's ministry, please visit newsongportberry.ca slash giving for more information on how to do that. May God bless you and keep you today and every day.